Great to see all smiling faces this morning. So, as Krista alluded to, we are in week four, or part four rather, of a six part series on the comeback, where we're kind of taking some different comeback stories in the Bible and looking how God kind of turned situations around and brought people from what seemed like certain defeat and brought them into a place of victory. And also, as Chris alluded to, this this morning we're, we're looking at Samson and Gardic pull people and you know what put some classic comeback stories in the Bible. I, you know, Joseph, Moses, Peter, Paul probably make the list, but Samson isn't really what pops in my mind when I think of a comeback initially. But um, it does have a lot of a lot of comeback elements to it. Um, some that are extremely relevant for us. Samson, Samson had a special calling and a special gift. Uh, in many ways, he kind of squandered that. I don't think he really lived up to the full potential that he could have. I think that's relevant for some of us. Um, I personally struggle sometimes with that thought. You know, I'm just not, you know, haven't really reached my potential. I've squandered opportunities that God's placed in my life. And yet, through Samson's life, we see that it's okay. I mean, God still redeems our story in our lives and our contributions. Uh, so, without further ado, I'll um, kind of lay a little bit of groundwork, kind of the historical, cultural setting for Samson. So we learned about Joseph's comeback story and how God took the people of Israel down into Egypt, and there they prospered, and they became a nation, like numerically. They were a huge nation, kind of a threat to the security of the Egyptians, but they didn't, we don't have an indication that they had a strong, cohesive culture, certainly not a culture that reflected God's character. Then God raised up Moses, and through Moses, they got the law, the Pentateuch, they got the Passover, all these elements that are still to this day hallmarks of Jewish culture. So they had population, they had a culture, and they raised up Joshua, and Joshua took them into the Promised Land, and they conquered about 90% of the territory, they say. So then Joshua gave them that land. So now they're all sitting pretty well, and then Joshua's like this last strong leader, and then the 12 tribes disperse. And for about 300 years, um, there's a recurring theme in the book of Judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't have an overarching authority, um, government, or a spiritual authority in their lives. And it was kind of doldrums. They, they were fighting battle after battle. The 12 tribes were trying to occupy the land that was given to them. And they were losing a lot of battles and serving the Philistines and the Canaanites and all these different people. And into this time period of 300 years, God would raise up judges. And so um, we'll start with the story of Samson, starting in Judges 13. And this it's a kind of a long account, and so I will have to skip through parts of it. I'll try and capture as much of it as I can, but for the sake of expedience, I'll start in 13, and then I'll hit um, 16, which is the comeback story. So, now the sons of Israel did evil in the sight. Again, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Uh, there was a certain man of Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver the people of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. 
And it said, Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtabel. I'm not sure I'm saying these names wrong, but you probably don't know them. <laughs> I don't either. Okay, so we'll skip ahead to chapter 16. And his life is interesting, and 25 minutes isn't, I just can't cover 14 and 15, but in chapter 16 now, uh, there's this crazy story where he goes to a woman who really in Gaza, and then he tears up the city gates and carries them, like, from Gaza to Hebron, that's like 40 miles, he carries these, like, 6 to 900 pound gates for 40 miles. It doesn't say the Spirit of the Lord came on him to do this. In other places, when he picks up a job on it, it says the Spirit of the Lord came mightily on him. So this is just, I don't know, just him in his flesh, I think, trying to stick it to the man. But starting in verse 4, it says, After this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and see where his great strength lies, and how we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. I mean, no wonder she betrayed him. I mean, that's a lot of money. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where his great strength is and how he may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in wait in the inner room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, but he snaps the cords as a string of toes snaps when it touches fire. So strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have deceived me and told me lies. Now please, tell me how you may be bound. She does this a couple more times. Then he says, bind me tightly with new ropes that have never been used. Same thing. Binds him. Phil seems to find you, snaps him off. Then, again, she's like, oh, you've got to tell me. And he's, uh, up to now you've deceived me and told me lies. Well, yeah, of course. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pin, I'll become weak. So she does that. Again. Then finally, <laughs> verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. <laughs> so he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Uh, so they come up, she sends and has a man coming shave his head and he begins to afflict him, the strength left him. Uh, he says, the Philistines are upon you. He gets up, thinking of going to feed him, but he's, he's not. The Lord, uh, it says, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and they brought him down to God's and bound him with bronze chains and he was a grinder in the prison. However, the, head of it, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. And the hair here, I, I, the hair isn't like this magical um, this potion. It, it's this vow, of this Nazarite vow to God. And I think the fact that his hair was beginning to be shaved off, like he, I think he was living faithfully according to his Nazarite vows. And it's almost like this visual indicator. You'd see a guy walk around Israel, and he'd have these dreadlocks down here, and you could see this is a man that has been faithful for this amount of time to his vow, and Samson in this case was. But, you know, he was, he was beginning to be faithful to God again. Um, and then the Philistines assembled together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God. They rejoiced, so they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Oh, boy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. 
Little did they know. And so it happened when their spirits were high that they said, Call for Samson that he may use us. So they called him. And Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, Let me fill the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against him. Now the house is full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines are there. About 3,000 were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. And what I read, they, they estimated about 10,000 people in total. Then Samson called the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O oh God, that I may be at once, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one with his right and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed in his life. Um, that's he judged Israel for 20 years. Kind of a crazy comeback story. <laughs> I mean, pyrrhic victory in kind of a sense. But, um, so what, uh, what's the point of all this? Like, what, why do we even go to the Bible, read the Bible? Like, what, you know, to be in the Bible, we should spend it. Why? Well, because the Bible reveals God to us and his character. And the Bible reveals us to ourselves, our nature, our character. And so looking at this story, we kind of, I want to answer a couple questions. How does Samson's life tell us about God and reveal his character? Um, and then how does it reveal our character? And then what are the takeaways? And so, you know, in, in a real interesting sense, Samson's life foreshadows Christ. And I didn't think of these. These came from a pastor, a Lutheran pastor in Wisconsin found online, <laughs> but um, but it's legit if you read through him, in, in, he's, he's made some excellent points. So as long as they didn't, as in Jesus and Samson, didn't fall into sin, they saved Israel. Samson did fall into sin, but Jesus did not. Samson was preceded by 12 of the judges, one of whom was Abimelech, and he was a traitor, terrible guy. Jesus was followed by 12 disciples, one of whom was a traitor. Samson was betrayed for silver, and Jesus was betrayed for silver. Samson associated with um, some bad women for his own sinful purposes. Jesus associated with them without sinning and for the sake of their souls and ours. The gates of Gaza did not prevail against Samson, and the gates of hell did not prevail against Jesus. Samson gave up his strength, causing his arrest and death. Jesus set aside his strength, permitting his arrest and death. And finally, Samson gave his life to save Israel, and Jesus gave his life to save all of mankind. And it's, it's I don't know, whenever you go to the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, I think it's great to try and look for the foreshadowing of Christ. But I think it's equally important to ask yourself, how is our lives a, um, what's that, a re refrain of the gospel of Christ? So we can see these foreshadowing of Christ, but look at your own history and like, how is your life a refrain of the gospel? Forgiveness, redemption. Um, so what what can we see about the character of God here? God speaks to us, and he gives us direction, just as he did to Samson's parents. And they lived faithfully in the valley after that mountaintop experience. Seek God for direction in your life and for the how to raise your children. Like Manoah saw earnestly, like, and it's interesting um, uh, commentary. A commentarian, Matthew Henry. Uh, well, I'll get to that in a little bit. But um, God helps us sometimes through the actions of other people. He can turn bad circumstances around, and He can redeem mistakes and bring something good out of it. He gives beauty for ashes. 
even when we don't always see it, God's still at work. For 300 years, they're just, there's no discernible, like, progress. They're just existing and not a very, it's a pretty meager existence. But God was working. God was raising people up to begin to deliver them. So sometimes we go through seasons, that valley, where it's just like, what is the point? I don't see any progress. But God is at work. He promises. Yeah, God's at work in our lives. And God is a forgiving God. And this is huge. Um, and this is the Christian God. God is a forgiving God. When we repent of our sins, we seek him. He, he is a forgiving God. There's hope and forgiveness. So what does Samson life teach about us? Like what, what do we see about ourselves? And honestly, I think Samson is a, maybe a clearer reflection of us than maybe Joseph or Moses or Peter. I mean, when I look at Joseph's life, I mean, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> but I, mean, I, I see what he went through and how God used him and how he forgave him. It's like, that's a tall order to follow. Huge example. But Samson's like, oh, I think I could probably, <laughs> I could probably do better than Samson. I mean, really. But not necessarily. And he, he provides a few good examples for us and maybe some more warnings for us. So we should seek God's direction and instruction for our lives, as I've already pointed out. Uh, Matthew Henry, this commentarian, wrote about his father, Manoah. He said, all of his care was what they, as Samson's parents, should do to the child that should be born. No, good men are more attentive and eager to know the duty that is to be done by them than to know the events that shall occur to them. For duty is ours and events are God's. Kind of uh, sounds like that's not what your country can do for you, but your, you can do for your country. But really, good men are more attentive about their duty than what's going to take place. And I think, in the whole, I mean, in times eschatology, sometimes we can forget that. It, it doesn't matter so much what's going to happen. It matters more what our duty is and how we were to live our lives. Uh, find the areas in your life where you can feel God stirring. So I, I think I read it. Yeah. End of chapter 13, verse 25. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him, to stir him in Mahanadan, between Zora and Eshtael. Um, and for some of us, maybe there will be a geographic stirring. God will call us to Bulgaria, or he will call us to China. Like, he will place his call in our hearts to go somewhere. I would say probably maybe a handful here might experience that. But all of us have uh, a stirring in our hearts in areas we would call it spiritual gifting. If, you're, if you feel God's power and presence work in you in hospitality or in teaching or in do it so many other ways, like follow that, pay attention to that, and cultivate that. And finally, as a good example, if you find yourself straying away from God or get caught in sin, it's not too late to repent and crack God. The longer you wait or the more stubborn you are, the more that sin might cost you. So God's a forgiving God, but it doesn't mean we escape the consequences of our sin. We can escape the eternal consequence, but Samson still lost his eyes. Samson did not escape from sin and escape. God, okay, I'll make that point later. <laughs> so how does his life serve as a warning to us? Well, we're not either just good people or bad people. And this is so dangerous, especially maybe as young Christians. 
it's hard because we just group people in the cowboys with the white hat and the cowboys with black hat, black hat for the old Western paradigm. Like, there's the good guys and the baddies. But we're not good people and we're not bad people. We're, we can be saved and in the process of sanctification, but there is evil that lives in us that we have to die to. And just because I self-identify as a Christian and follow God, flying off the handle and yelling at my kids is going to hurt them just as much as if I wasn't a Christian. So my sin doesn't hurt people less because I'm a Christian. And that, so our battle here isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against the right aisle or the left aisle. It, it really, our battle is against ourselves, um, in our sin, in ourselves. And as we battle that, the other battles will actually kind of work themselves out, I think. I'm not saying we're not in a battle in this country, you know, like, whatever, but... But our duty is, is for our souls and those of those under our care, such as our, our children. So we need to be serious in our struggle against sin. Um, and so what do we do with all this? Um, you know, we've kind of touched a little bit on God's character and our nature. And forgive me as I shuffle these around, try to stay on task. People make this look so easy, but... For me, it's not that easy to uh, stay on task and try and have structure and time. Needs, but, uh, okay, so some takeaways. We look at God's character. So I think a takeaway is this from this is that the guy, the God of the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Trinity God, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that God is a God worthy of being the Lord of your life. He's just. He's a good God. He he has laws. He's a just God. Justice is important to him. He's patient, he's slow to anger, and he forgives. Now this God is not this God is worthy of of our service. Um, and in a very real sense, uh, I can't read the whole chapter due to time, but Romans chapter six, we we're a servant, a slave to something, whether that's to sin or whether that's to God, whether it's to money or something. And what what is it in your life that kind of makes you make decisions? Um, and I think the best master to have is God. Uh, seek areas in your life to be the gospel. Be that reframe of the gospel to your coworker, to your children, to your spouse. If you've been wronged, you now have the opportunity to forgive. This is God through Christ has forgiven us. In this struggle against sin, allow yourself to be teachable, to be have a teachable spirit. Find safe people to process your struggles with. Now, Samson's experience with Delilah should be a huge caution with us against just confiding in anyone, especially the people that really seem to want to know your secrets. I mean, there's people that are not safe to confide in. But there are people that can help you, that um, help us process life, that help us gain victory over struggles. Uh, implementing spiritual disciplines in our life, like prayer and fasting, study the scripture, these have real power in, in subduing that, the fleshly impulses we have. Um, and we don't have time to go into them, but just some of the classic disciplines that Christians have been practicing for centuries are solitude, fasting, frugality, sacrifice. 
those are all disciplines of abstinence, keeping ourselves from being polluted by the world. But there's also disciplines of engagement. There's study of the scripture, worship, fellowship, confession. These spiritual disciplines, like they help us in this struggle against sin. And it's through the spirit that we gain victory, but the spirit, this is giving that spirit room in our lives. It's giving God a voice in our lives. We, from um, just the culture we live in, Hollywood and, and songs on the radio, very, there's a lot of chatter out there, and not all of it fills our mind with the character and nature of God. And by practicing these disciplines, we're filling our minds with, with God. The company we keep, the thoughts we dwell on, the TV shows we watch, these all do have an influence on us. I think we need to acknowledge that. Like, we are influenced by what we fill our lives with. Um, so just being careful with that. And in all of this, remember, use some five-syllable, whatever, sanctification, this process of dying to the flesh, of becoming more holy, is not the same thing as salvation. God has saved us. The finished work of, on the cross, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, that is our hope and our future and our salvation. But now we're in the process of sanctification where we're walking into that victory. So in conclusion, um, Samson is a sobering example for us, and it's unfortunate I get to be the Debbie Downer with the Samson story. Um, there's so many other like more cheerful stories, but uh, but it's not a downer. Like Samson's life kind of foreshadows our Christian comeback. It's through our death to our flesh that we gain victory, and and this isn't death though. It's it's life. If you've ever felt that root of bitterness grabbing in onto your soul and just that powerlessness you feel, like dying to that is life. I mean, that is death. And you've probably experienced other areas where it's like you feel that grip of sin in your life, and that is death. That's, that's true death. And dying to ourselves, that's life. Letting go of that bitterness, letting go of that resentment. Yeah, they were wrong. <laughs> We can forgive them. That's life. It's death to self, but it's life for our spirits. And that's why this isn't really a downer. Like, this is real power and victory. And so, I don't know, I guess there's joy in this story. Um, and so, as, uh, as you leave, just I'd encourage us all to examine our choices, how we're living. Are we living intentionally for God, and how? Prepare your minds for action. Having done everything to stand firm, people's lives, including your own, but including your children, they can and they will be impacted by your decisions, for better or for worse. So, I'm just going to pray and um, let the worship guys close us out. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for the foreshadowing of Christ, for the, the life of Christ, and just for continuing to spread his gospel throughout the world in our own hearts and lives, Lord God. We pray for victory over 
enemies in our soul that wage war against us, whether that's anger or addictions or any other bitterness. Lord, we need victory, Lord. And sometimes we just are weak. But you help us in our weakness, Lord. Maybe not in our rebellion, but in our weakness, you will remain strong. We just pray that your spirit would stir in our hearts. You would give us victory over our enemies. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.